0: So the first uh, reading is six, uh, chapter 6, verse 6b six to 13. Um, so if I were just a second to go find that in your Bibles. Uh, the page number is 1,007 for those who have these Bibles. Okay. All right, so Jesus sends out the 12. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him, He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The second reading is um, uh, verse 30 to 44, um, and the title is Jesus Feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000.
1: Good morning, everyone, again. Good to see you. Now... And we've got our outlines, uh, you can use that to write down on but completely ignore everything that's in it because this week the passage kind of <laughs> turned me around and changed me and kept me thinking about what it was, how to attack it and so that I've got a totally different approach to the passage today. Um, and so even the topic, if I'd I change the topic to being something like understanding the bread or when bread's not really about bread or something like that. So what you'll see on the next slide is if you want to follow on, That would be a more helpful outline if you're the type of person who really appreciates that, and I know some of you do. Now, have you ever believed in something but at the same time be completely bewildered by it? Yes? No? For me, actually, there's quite a lot of things, but as as a teenager, it was absolutely chemistry and physics. I love the idea of understanding how things work. I love the idea of mixing chemicals and coming up with interesting things and figuring out chemistry and how everything comes together. I love thinking about electricity and all those things, and yet I was so bad at it so, so bad at it, that when I started to do physics, I just dropped out straight away in year 11 and 12, and in chemistry, I got a tutor, and I really appreciate my parents doing that, but I'm sure in hindsight, they wouldn't have bothered, (laughs) because I was so bad at it. But I really liked it, but I just couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't, I was completely confused by it, bewildered by it. I wonder if there are things like that, In your life. Jen might say that she loves me, but's completely bewildered by me sometimes. And you might say that about your spouse or loved ones that you know. There's things about them you just don't get. She doesn't get my love of sport. She doesn't get my love of hitting a little white ball around 18 holes, about six and a half kilometres. Like many of you are going, ah, now I get the illustration because I don't get what you're talking about either, Michael. See we all have those things that we love and yet we're bewildered by. Today's chapter, this is exactly where we, I think we see the disciples are at with Jesus. You see, the point Jesus is making to them is, well, the way you are, where you're at, is not acceptable. Actually, everything that you need to know is there and you need to stop being bewildered, being amazed in your confusion. And so what I want to try and do for us today, my goal is if we can see where the disciples are at with Jesus and then identify their problem and so we can see with more clarity who Jesus is and how it can affect our attitude towards Him. So this passage has a whole bunch of classic stories in it, this chapter, but I reckon as a whole, They're a bit puzzling. And I reckon it's hard to kind of put them all together. So let's have a look at all the pieces and then see how we can bring it all back together. If you've got a Bible, it might be helpful to have it in front of you. But the passage kind of starts off with a bit that's coming from the previous section, where in the first six verses that we didn't read today, Jesus is rejected in his hometown. He goes to Nazareth and everyone's like, what? You're a carpenter's son. And and Jesus was even rejected by family. And Jesus identifies himself as a prophet. The only time in Mark, which is interesting, that he identifies himself as a prophet, and he says, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. See, Jesus is coming in the line of all the Old Testament prophets who constantly were treated with disdain. It wasn't a good future to be an Old Testament prophet. And here is Jesus in his hometown being rejected. But as we move on from that story quite quickly, we get a story that's kind of really well known in Christian circles. It's a dis- kind of a distinct moment that Alex read out for us, the first bit that he read, where Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends them out with the job he has been doing. They're kind of like replicating his ministry. And it's not surprising that we see, he says they go out and preach that you should repent. If you've been coming through our Mark series, you see that Jesus kicked it off with, the kingdom of God is near, repent. Repent and believe. And so they go out and they're told to do that. And as they go do that, Jesus has given them authority by His Spirit and His power. They're even casting out the demons that we've seen previously in Mark, and they're healing people. Then, the story continues if we miss the bit uh, in the middle that we didn't read, we get through and the story continues to the feeding of the 5,000 that Alex also read. And we see on a surface that Jesus has compassion for people who are hungry and who have come to hear Him speak and so He teaches them. And He does something once again that is quite extraordinary, another amazing miracle. But what's interesting and I wonder why Why is this sending them out interrupted before you get to this story? Because verse 30 of this um, beginning of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus people, because that was just the men, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all they had done, but yet there was a whole bit in the middle. The story was interrupted with King Herod and John the Baptist. It's an intriguing story as well. You could just spend a, a Sunday just reflecting on that passage, where King Herod, uh, well, he was a, one of the, the king. He was the king at the time of the Jews, and let's just face it, he was a little bit rubbish. He was the self-serving, useless king of Israel, but he kind of liked John the Baptist. He said, uh, "Some were saying, as we go in this story, that." John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Some were saying that he is Elijah, and some are saying he is a prophet like the prophets long ago. And so the question is, John the Baptist come, who was he? And then he gets his head cut off. And the one who prepares Jesus' way is no longer. Why is that there? It's an abrupt kind of interruption to the sending them out and the wanting to tell Jesus that they did it, and it was great. But then, I think it even gets a little bit stranger and gets really kind of weird for the disciples. Jesus walks on water. We've already had an encounter with Jesus and water, haven't we, as uh, Jesus calmed the storm in the previous section. And here in verses 45... Now, to 52, we see Jesus do something quite extraordinary. And the walking on water isn't even the weird bit. Now, if you've got it in front of you, read it, uh, follow with me and I'll read it out. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he was dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. What? They were completely amazed about Jesus walking on water because they didn't understand about the loaves? What's going on? What's that got to do with anything? How how does this make any sense? We don't don't get the bread because Jesus is walking on water. And so now at the end of that verse 52, their hearts were hardened. It's a bit odd. Jesus goes out for a stroll on the water and the disciples are, ah! Seems a little bit reasonable. Jesus says, courage, it is I. But you know what? (coughs) When it says, it is I, it can easily be be said to be, take courage, I am. Now, when Jesus says, I am, I don't think we can avoid the allusion to the fact that the Old Testament God, when he was asked, who was he, said, I am who I am. In John's Gospel, Jesus clearly identifies himself as, I am to say he's God. And in this amazing act of walking on water of all his power, he says, Take courage, don't be afraid, I am. Here he is. And their response was to be amazed. But it's not a kind of amazement like what's gone before with others who have kind of gone, Well, that's interesting. This is an amazement of bewilderment, being overwhelmed, kind of being confused. They didn't understand. They didn't get it, and it's because of the bread. It's an ho- interesting story, isn't it? This whole saga in chapter six—I I find it amazing. And they're great stories, but I kind of feel like—I don't know whether you've ever felt like this with the disciples. I kind of feel like they're on a little bit of a hiding to nothing. They—they they dropped everything, if you recall, to follow Jesus. They're not the Pharisees plotting to kill Him or even the crowds who, who just think He's interesting. They are trusting Him enough to go and follow Him. They're certainly not like His hometown who are just rejecting Him. They have trusted Him enough to follow Him wherever He goes. Look what, look what they did back in verse 7. They trusted it enough when Jesus said, go out and tell people to repent. And it's going to be hostile. Let's not forget people are out to want to kill Jesus. Not everyone likes this thing that's happening. And now they're going out two by two and they're saying his message. And they did it. And they don't even understand it properly yet. They're telling the people to repent. I kind of can imagine their excitement. I think when they're saying the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught... I don't imagine it was, oh, by the way, we did that job that you wanted us. We did it! And now, Jesus tells them in this feeding of the 5,000, feed my people. Feed them when you've got nothing to give them. And they say, well, how are we going to do this? If we went and bought something, it's, is it half a wages? of a year, it's like I kind of feel feel for them a little bit. And yet, when they see Jesus do something extraordinary, I kind of get that it's fear. See, what didn't they get about what Jesus was doing? Because while I can relate to where they're at, Jesus is making the point it's not acceptable to be where they're at. See, what didn't they get about this? They didn't understand the loaves, which is supposed to help us make sense of it. And eventually they do get, well, nearly all of them. I think it brings us back to one of the most important principles of the Bible. There are two parts. There's the Old Testament leading us to Jesus and His kingdom coming, pointing us to it, revealing to us the need for it, hoping for someone to come. And then there's the New Testament where Jesus turns up and by his spirit, his church begins, looking for the consummation of the kingdom. You see, the story of the loaves, this feeding of the 5,000 is saturated in Old Testament shadows and allusions and references that show us who Jesus is. If we don't pick up on them, we're stuck in the kid spot where all we kind of said was to them is, uh, Jesus cares for you and has compassion for you. And then we see that in the, in the feeding of the 5,000, which is true. It's what he did. It's good to know. But the passage even goes deeper and further if we see the allusions. See, this is why God's people love the whole counsel of God because when we have the whole counsel of God, we see Jesus in greater clarity. You see, this is not the only time God provided supernatural food in the Bible, is it? The Exodus story where Jesus delivers his people, he rescues them out of Slavery of the Egyptians, where did they go? How did they get out of slavery? What did they have to go through? What was it? A desert? And to get through the desert, they had to walk through what? Sorry? The Red Sea. Water. Okay, now, we've got them being into the wilderness. Jesus rescues them into the wilderness. The people in the loaves are kind of like in the wilderness with no food we 've got water. Jesus just walked on water, and we 've got bread that they 've all been given abundantly supernaturally by God for their provision and If we go to the exodus, we find that God provided food for them manna. We can have a look on the passage on the screen that 'll come up. This is just a little snippet from Exodus sixteen. Um, where we see all this take place. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. As we go on to the next verse. That's all right, leave it there. God had promised, God had promised that he would rain down, rain down on them the food that they need for the next day. He's provided for his people who he's just delivered out of slavery, who have gone through the water that he paved the path for with what they need. Here is the people who are following Jesus, that they just went to follow him, who need sustenance, who don't have any way of getting it. And like the manna, God provides. See, what we get in this passage is we're seeing that Jesus is the Moses figure to come, the Moses figure. Like Moses provides, Jesus is that Moses figure. It's an extraordinary thing that we see. And as we see, we see that he walked on water. See who is it in the Old Testament that is control of the waters? Who walks over the waters? It's God. It's psalm seventy-seven. If you want to read um, a psalm today, go and read Psalm seventy-seven and see the deliver- deliverance of, the, of God's people and how it's God over the waters. And where Jesus is feeding the five thousand, he then goes and walks on the waters and says, he is God, I am. Look at Psalm 77. With your mighty arm you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God, the waters saw you, and writhed, the very depths were convulsed. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's work. And here God is really acting, pointing us and reminding us that He is delivering. He is provider. And you know what? When Jesus was looking at these people, how did He see them? Well, He saw them. He saw them in uh, verse... Uh, Where is it? He saw them in verse 34 when he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion on them? Because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. They had no leader. This is not just a nice little verse that Mark thought to put in to describe it. This is an Old Testament allusion that comes up over and over again to God being the one who does that. God is the one who is their leader and deliverer in Ezekiel. In other places, just like in Numbers 27, 17, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. In deliverance, where the promise in Numbers is that there will be deliverance, Jesus sees them and he directly relates it to him being the deliverer as he provides. Jesus... Is the one who provides all. This is not simply compassion for a group of people who followed him and just to display his power, which that it is. This is Jesus saying, I am the Moses deliverer, the promised one. This is Jesus saying, I am the ultimate provider. This is Jesus saying, I am God and I have turned up to deliver my people. Now, if that's what you're supposed to understand by the loaves, this is maybe not something to be terrified by, to be confused by, or to be overwhelmed by. But we'll get to that. We still haven't figured out why the story is interrupted with Herod and John the Baptist's head. Why does that take place? You see, the one who comes in the line of the Old Testament prophets was despised, like them in his hometown. He comes as a leader of his people, sending out others with him, uh, others to replicate his ministry, while the current leader, compare it to the current leader. If you read through and see King Herod, you'll see he's self-ser- a self serving king who's stupid in his behaviour and is indulgent in his pleasures. A quick synopsis of that story is that Herod Herod actually uh, wanted to put John the Baptist in jail because he was saying, you married your brother's wife, that's not good. That's breaking the law. So Herod, "Mm, don't like that, I'm putting you in jail. But he kind of respected John the Baptist, he saw he was holy. And so at the same time he's going, I won't kill him. But his wife Herodias wanted his head. And so the drama turned out as Herodias' daughter danced for King Herod, which is weird, and he offered way more than he should have because of it, because it pleased him, and so he had to chop off John the Baptist's head because that's what they asked for, and he didn't want to kind of look bad in front of his guests at his party. It's a ridiculous contrast. The leader who sends out his people, who is not respected, and the king, who has no way of leading his people well. All the while in this story, we get allusions to, well, where does John the Baptist point us towards? Elijah? If we were to go to Malachi and we see that one coming in the line of Elijah, like Elijah preparing the way, brings the kingdom and judgment. And here we have... In between Jesus coming, the kingdom is near, and then he shows that he can do it on the other side of this passage. The contrast is stark. As the modern-day Jewish king highlights his uselessness, we head back into the story and see Jesus had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, not a character trait of their current king. You see, what is this chapter about when you kind of put it all together? Jesus is the wilderness deliverer who provides abundantly for his people. He is the Moses come to rescue. He is the God come to his people. He comes after Elijah and the prophets and he stands in contrast to the useless modern day king. All of this... The richness of who Jesus is and what he's saying here is only if we see the Old Testament and its fulfillment in Jesus. It's only if we love the Old Testament, if we work hard at seeing where that is, that we get greater clarity on richness on who Jesus is and why we love reading all of Scripture. When Jesus says over and over again in the Gospels, The kingdom of God is near. In this chapter, he's providing evidence to back it up. The God of all is coming with more than bread. He's coming with a kingdom that provides bread for all into all eternity who repent and follow him. So what did the disciples not understand? What is it? As we try and put it together, that we can learn from them. You see, their amazement was because they weren't able, didn't have the capacity to do what we've just done at that point in time. Their amazement was confusion. They were genuinely bewildered. The phrase that I I, I think they would say would have been saying over and over again is, what Is going on? How is this happening this way? It's the question I often ask. What is going on when I don't understand something? Because they were unable to see Jesus uh, showing them he is the Moses deliverer and what that comes with Of course the walking on water seems a little bit terrifying. Of course the fact that he is uh, a provider is not really clear to them in this story that uh, they can't put it all together. But what we actually see is instead of being bewildered by Jesus, we can see him as God, our deliverer and provider. That's the movement that they didn't understand. You can... See Jesus in whatever way, and you can be amazed by him, bewildered, confused, overwhelmed by him, even appreciate him, or you can see that he is your deliverer and provider. I think that's where this passage is taking us. Because here we see the real leader of God's people and as we kind of figure out what to do with it ourselves. There's so much in this passage. There's so many ways to take it. There's so many you could do four sermons on each individual component and and draw more and more out of it. But I want to suggest two things. Firstly, if you're not a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this very simple question. Is it possible he is my rescuer and provider? Is it possible? See, I think for many people, maybe some of us here, you've been nowhere near getting in the boat like the disciples. But at the same time, Jesus is kind of intriguing to you. Maybe he even amazes you a little. But what if he's God? Is intrigue, a bit of amazement, Appropriate if he's God and he delivers? I don't think they match up. The disciples dropped everything to follow Jesus, and yet at this point they were described as having hard hearts until they truly understand who he was by his spirit. See, like they do, We need to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. Not just look at him from a distance, not just to consider whether it's any good, not not by just noticing the moments of brilliance in his life, but following him to the cross and realising he did that to step into our place that this Deliverer delivers by dying for us. As the Red Sea was parted and the people walked straight through, Jesus was lifted on a cross so we can be delivered and rescued by him. And I reckon that it's something that at some point in your life you need to make a decision about, even today. It will be the disaster of your life if you appreciate who Jesus is, but he never rescues you. That is the definition of tragedy. To like the king of all, but not let him be your king. Maybe today is the day where you realize that and you do something about it. I'd love to encourage you and pray for you if that is the case. The last thing, the second thing to take away from this passage, for all of us who who follow Jesus, here's the thing that I've been struck by this week. Don't leave your faith in the boat with the disciples understand the loaves as verse 52 says have your faith that is your trust in jesus dwell in the knowledge of his deliverance of his provision instead of confusion and bewildering amazement see when our faith in god is questioned, when we are Not relying on our astonishment, but on the knowledge of God and that He has come, we have a way of dealing with life. It's easy to give up when you don't understand something. It's very easy. I gave up on chemistry, not because I didn't believe in it or because I didn't like it. I still, to this day, am fascinated by it. And if you think you are so brilliant at it that you could explain some of it to me, go for it but I couldn't understand it, so I kind of gave up. We can kind of like the idea of God, marvel at Jesus, even accept him and what he did to be true, but if you're not going to give up on it, we need to understand who Jesus is and make this our life project because we want to live by it. Our Deliverer wants you to know him. So you live for him. I think if I can help uh, show you this from from a bit of my life. See, I grew up. Uh, I, I was uh, blessed to grow up in a family where I was always taught, and God had given me. Uh, uh, the understanding that I always believed Jesus was God. I always, I can never remember a time when I didn't as a kid, that Jesus was God, that He died for me, that he, he, on the cross He did something for me. I can't remember a time when that wasn't the case. But all my childhood, I realized this week, I was stuck on the boat with the disciples. I liked the idea of Jesus, but I didn't truly understand who He was not until uni. See, at uni, that was the tipping point for me where my boat-like faith was pushing me to the brink of ignoring it. And there were a few telltale signs, like the time when we just started uni and the Christian group... Uh, uni Bible study, had a big sign up there and there were people there getting people to sign up who've become good friends of mine. And I remember with my group in OT, well, occupational therapy, we were walking along and some people were bagging them out about this group and how ridiculous it is and I joined in. That's what happens when you have a boat like faith that doesn't really embrace deliverance of Jesus, that you don't really understand what he's done for you. I was on the precipice of ignoring it, stop kind of going to church, stop thinking about God, because I didn't really understand what he had done for me. He was just someone I thought was kind of good. It was kind of a religious thing, but it wasn't a heart thing. And what changed was when I understood grace. It was that thing for me that changed everything. It was understanding that this Jesus who delivers does it all when I don't deserve it? That people back in the Exodus didn't deserve, didn't deserve, for Jesus to deliver, uh, for God to deliver them through uh, out of slavery. They proved that time and time again after, didn't they? He did it by grace. I didn't earn favour with God, and I didn't get it. But when I understood grace, when I understood it in the Bible. That's when I went from the precipice of rejecting and ignoring to moving to Jesus needs to shape my whole life. And that's where love compels. That's when if you truly understand Jesus' love and you understand that more and more as you understand what his sacrifice is about, as you see that even in the Old Testament and and how it takes place, you want to live for him. That's who we are at Grove. We are compelled to. By the love of Jesus. So we are desperate to understand him more and more. And so I want to encourage you in three areas. Uh, For those of you who are young, I consider that anyone under my age. Um, Jeepers. (laughs) That's the awkward laughing of those that are older than me, I (laughs) apologise. but it's a serious point though take advantage of your youth encourage those that are at uni encourage if you are at uni if' you're, our kids that are out there now it's in that time where you build the foundations of understanding this deliverer and his provision for you having that rich knowledge and understanding it and the, the advantages you have in your young adult years to just dive into the Bible and to understand it. I draw on that. I probably draw on my time at university and missing some classes and doing all the Bible studies instead more than Bible college, if I can say that, because it shaped me. It shaped me. (laughs) It shaped who I was because I was able to really spend time in it, build for the future. The thing I want to say is it's never too late. It's never too late to see that we need to understand that Jesus is our deliverer and wrestle with it more and more. It's never too late to think, well, I've got a family, um, I'm... On the second half of my life and doesn't matter so much now. No, it does matter until the day you die, you love it and you investigate it. Have you ever read all of the Bible? Have you ever listened to all of the Bible? Speak to a few people who had has been mind-blowing how you listen to God's Word from beginning to end, how you pick up on things that you've never picked up before even though you've heard all those stories over and over. Have you ever done that? Have you got a passion for coming on Sundays and encouraging one another, but also growing in your richness of who He is? In term three, we'll do community groups and we'll continue to do that together. And lastly, have this passion for the next generation. What happens out there matters. What happens in your family matters because you want to give them every opportunity to understand the loaves. And that is our responsibility. And if you're a parent, make that your passion. Next week, we're going to delve into further what we need deliverance from, that sin that we have. And even more so next week, we're going to delve into how Jesus deals with it in chapter 7. It's a great chapter. But for, da- for today, understand the lesson of the loaves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That we can learn from this uh, saga that took place uh, with Jesus and his disciples, and the feeding of the 5,000. We thank you that you revealed yourself richly in your word, and Jesus keeps on pointing us back to your word to understand him. Thank you that he is the provider, the source of our life, the one who comes in the line of Moses to rescue and deliver us. Help us not to be bewildered by you but to rest in your deliverance. Put that on our
0: hearts for the rest of our days. Amen.